Well, we've got a great guest here today at the Traveling Podcast for Affiliated. We're at TNC Traffic Conversion in the VIP ClickBank Lounge. So if you're using background noise, please excuse that. But we've got my good friend Vinny Fisher here. Vinny, thanks for joining. Oh, Thomas, thanks for having me, buddy. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. No, I mean, we've known each other for a while now. Um, you've been in the industry much longer than I have. Um, That's a nice yeah. way of saying I'm very old. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I have to dig a little bit. But, um, <laughs> my kids call it OG. I'm like, is that a compliment or is that a, a dig? And they're like, it's both, Dad. It's both. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I've like, you've got a very, I would like you to speak to this a bit, but a very cool track record of your ascension through the space uh -huh. to what you're doing now. I'd love to kind of cover what you've seen and where do you think things are going? Oh, it's cool. kind of the state yeah. of, it can be affiliate marketing, yeah. but also just internet marketing and kind of how you're seeing people operate in the space. Yeah. I think like the state of digital, right? The state of digital. Yeah, I love like it. That. It's cool. So would you just give like a, you know, two minute overview of kind of like your background, why people should even listen to you? <laughs> yeah, we're still struggling with that question. Um, but you know, Vinny Fisher here, right? So uh, I started in direct to response, uh, consumer selling and um, I was a lawyer by trade. So I got this yeah. young internet guy as my first client. And oh, my, my, my first internet client. And then I fell in love with the internet. And this was like 06, right? And so quickly, I, I went from being a lawyer to being a businessman in this space. And my first move uh, was to figure out affiliate. Okay. Like I was intrigued by it. And so I became our first affiliate manager for our info product business. Had a pretty good run on ClickBank, right? I owned yeah. uh, some number one offers for a while. Uh, actually had some fun records. Uh, Different niches or are they? Uh, so we started out in business opportunity okay. and then we moved into health. Um, and so my last run in the affiliate world was in the health space. And then uh, at, in the middle of that, before we sold that business, I uh, opened up a company called Fully Accountable. I, but I, I did it for me. I was trying to solve a problem. We didn't mm -hmm. have any mature back office work. And I didn't know, like, I was using an old way of a system to try to solve a new problem and analytics and trying to understand the true acquisition cost of a customer. And so we built that business and never imagined that a product guy would switch over and grow and subsequently scale a service company. Yeah. And so it's a very uh, different model. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was known, I was on stages. I was known as the guy who built out big affiliate. I had, at one point I had a larger affiliate group than Amazon. Oh wow. Yeah. In the early days, Amazon wasn't all about the affiliate stuff, right? And so no, they're still not really. I they're mean, really not. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, you so, make 3%. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like really, it's nothing. Yeah. And so uh, we, uh, we had built BrainHost and, and, and built that into a machine uh, in our hosting company uh, with a large affiliate army. And you know, we were doing all the things, the big checks, walk them into the bank, like, like what looked like influencer stuff, but not really influencer. Like Chip Wilson spoke on the stage here about get the person who's actually using your stuff to influence it not go pay for some high celebrity that's probably not using your stuff. Right. And we had, did that before we realized we were even doing it. Like, okay. And so uh, we love affiliate stuff. Awesome. So, I mean, that's what I love. You've seen a lot. You've yeah. done a lot. And now you're in this unique situation where you're working with, I imagine, multiple brands across different verticals and niches and industries. Yeah, we live mm -hmm. in, you know, we have hundreds of clients. We have a, yeah. we've really uh, had an amazing growth curve and uh, we're like a six year overnight success. And uh, so we've come out of nowhere and people are like, oh, it's amazing. You guys are awesome. I'm like, yeah, it started six years ago, man. That's yeah, great. And so uh, the tech wasn't there. So we had to do a lot of stuff manually. And, you know, this idea today that like, uh, you know, Google's come out with this new analytic update and, uh, you know, all the stuff that's going on, our, our fastest growing part of our company is our business intelligence group where mm -hmm. we do all the kind of check different softwares, track it back to the money. And I, I think, 
uh, getting better at that is the need of everyone in this kind of post-digital era that everyone's talking about. And I think it's so important uh, as an affiliate or even as a you know a offer owner, a publisher, an advertiser, whatever words you resonate with as a vendor, then uh, I, I think uh, this idea of not accepting that you, you, you haven't figured out a way to do transparency, you're going to actually have to deal with this. And I think the people deal with deal with tracking yeah and i think the people who want to deal with it will actually substantially benefit from it and the ones who kind of let just let it go head down uh now for anyone who like loves clickbank like we do right then they've already got a lot of that solved by you guys but if they do business in addition to the clickbank well often too like you know clickbank or any other network or affiliate channels a revenue stream right a customer acquisition that's right not all of it right right. so if you do if you have multi-channel thoughts on the mind Mm -hmm. then you need to really have kind of a a, 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 and so we've really dedicated resources to that department because uh, I saw it a couple years ago I mean I didn't see uh, the world shutting down but I saw that we were going to need to be ahead of that and I'm really thankful we are and uh, I love our business intelligence team and uh, I think data and being able to understand another layer to acquisition costs is the next big wave because now that adoptions happened everyone's been forced to learn how to buy on the internet right. getting them to buy there is no longer the issue yeah true so no, I, yeah COVID has dragged e-commerce forward like five or six years it may be even something. 10 depending yeah. on which economist mm-hmm. you want to listen to and so I don't think the issue anymore is to spend a dollar to hope they come back they're coming back so now the question is is maybe not lost leader maybe it's like how do I focus on margin Sure. But, but I got to track it in order to understand that, right? Where, where are you seeing, and maybe it's how are you pivoting with your clients with this kind of new tracking era that we're moving into? Uh, you know, one of the coolest things we're doing is uh, we're, we're old enough now. We have enough companies where we're able to um, benchmark against the type of company you are. So we only live in really this vertical, e-commerce, consumer packaged sure. goods, right? Uh, digital, and then kind of like the what I call the educational brands, people who would use education as their front, and then they have groups or coaching yeah. or software, yeah. kind of like the model of all the clients you and I mm-hmm. serve, right? Uh, that's all of our clients. And so we, we've been able to start taking data and benchmark. Where do you stand against yourself, your competitors, can you do your industry type? And I think that's a early good system to figure out if you're acquisition costs are in line with people who are trying to fight for the same customer. Do you, do you find that when you are getting a new client or chatting with somebody, if they've been trying to figure out their own data, how accurate are they or in it inaccurate? You know, uh, I would say the latter, very inaccurate, <laughs> right? Uh, we, we make a living off of um, ignorance and incompetence. And so I don't ever want our people to forget that we solve tough problems yeah. and, and, and people have tough issues. And so I'm thankful that our team knows that, uh, or at least gets reminded of that when we kind of have tough days. But I, I, what I what I see is uh, a, a divide. I see people doing it okay, and then I see people realizing they need to do it. And instead of treating uh, the back office and, and those things like, oh, a necessary evil, they realize it's a competitive advantage. Yeah. And so I think the companies that are, 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 are at least looking under the hood and then starting to realize that are uh, – able to have better access to the real statistical numbers that are happening in their business so they can make better decisions. And I'm really, it's the next piece. Like the automation isn't as automated as everyone thinks. There's got to connect some things. And, you know, we, we realized uh, early on that the stuff that shows up in your bank account is about, has at least a five to some cases, almost 10% variance from what your actual software might report on the front side. Well, 
you take 10 points off the bottom and you have completely changed yeah. how you yeah. should do business. And so that's kind of a big deal. friends that have made some big, they've had some learning opportunities only looking at what's going into the bank, yeah. not understanding the bigger picture, right. making some poor business decisions off of that. Right? Yeah, yeah, I've never personally done that. But, uh, <laughs> actually, that's why our whole business exists. It yeah. was for me, I, I made that tragic mistake and, and I'm so thankful that I like promised to not be blind again. And so is, I, I would say work at being less blind. Is there a data point that most businesses need to dive into first? And no, I say data point like lifetime value or cost of acquire customers or one that you find that they should start with and the rest can kind of fall into place behind it? I think, you know, I actually wrote a book about this and, and uh, it's called False Profits. The, I think every book has a chapter that like, like killed it. And I would say this had its chapters, chapter two, solving for X. The first metric I would want to know is how much is there, how much of, of every dollar that comes in, what's my tipping point of what I can actually spend to acquire mm -hmm. a customer? Are you calling that profit margin or is that something new? So the acquisition cost should be okay. the variable, yep. right? Okay. And so what should be fixed? What should be fixed is like, what is an expected expected margin of your type of business? That should be on a fixed number. Like, so if 20% is like what an industry standard your business should make, then out of the a dollar, now you only have 80 cents left. Well, if you're gonna then spend 20 cents on kind of overhead and uh, things, and then there's this cost of goods, like what does it cost to actually do your business? And if that's, you know, 25 more cents, well, under that math, then you have 40 cents left to, to acquire a customer. Acquire and I think we reverse yeah. it. I think we think, okay, let's acquire the customer, then I'll worry about the rest of that filling in. And I think we got that equation backwards. Lifetime value is a, is a good stat, except for you have to have some time in your business. So I think people mm -hmm. like want to track something that they're a little too youthful to actually be able to rely upon cycle of life of their customer. I think acquisition cost and, and shopping cart value are, are the places where I would start for uh, what I would consider less maturing businesses. Have, have you seen an increase in the cost to acquire customer and maybe recently, but just over the last you know, X years? Uh, it's, it's different, right? I yeah. think, I think if your offer isn't converting as well, I, I'll say something I've been saying forever. You, you don't have a traffic problem. You have an offer problem. <laughs> yeah. And so if more people could actually eat their own dog food and actually split test their offer and continue to work at the adjustments that allow for it to improve better and, and perform better, uh, I think that they could actually have a direct correlation to their traffic costs. But as a whole, I think traffic costs are going up. I think there's more competition. Since we all kind of got forced to the digital opportunity, uh, user adoption is not our issue. Now it's noise. Oh, sure. And yeah. so because it's so much noisy, I think the people that have decided to stand for a specific customer and have a, a very targeted group who they go after are doing better than the generalists. I would agree. Yeah. And then because what I've seen like on the affiliate side, right, like the commission it's almost like an arms race to pay the most commission. It yeah. always kind of has been, yep. right? But before I was at ClickBank, it seemed like 50% was high. 15? 50, 50 was high, right? And it's like, oh, that was a high commission to pay. Now we're seeing physical goods, you know, supplements and all things like that, which have high profit margins, yeah. right? But they're paying out 75% to start. Oh, you know? yeah. And so that's just a, that's the that's starting just, conversation. That's a starting conversation. Yeah, it used to be back in the day when we were rocking it on ClickBank, you know, that was the bonus commission. Yeah, exactly. 50 that was plus the to cap. 25. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And it still is the cap for some people, which is fine. You can still find yeah. affiliates to work with that. But yep. it's like if you want to be the best of the best, you're looking at 
85% sometimes is a ceiling. We experienced so, this at Brainhost, mm-hmm. like our offer was really converting and then, so copycats would show up, of course, yeah. right? So then, you know, uh, what, uh, whatever the number was, we kept, it seems like we were always adding 5% just to try to stay ahead of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say that, uh, um, believe it or not, in the affiliate world, chasing to the larger number isn't always what an affiliate wants. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they wanna know they're gonna get, what I would say is never ever pay late yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that's why it's great to have something like ClickBank because you know you're always going to get paid, <laughs> right? Um, and then do the things you said you're going to do. Like if you did those two things, you would probably withstand most of the battle over uh, this increased buy my attention stuff. I agree. Yeah, I see the the brands who are good at this. They get affiliates what they need, yeah. right? Which is unique landers, you know, exclusive yeah. on landers, unique split tests, unique creatives. And it's like, they're like almost treating them like a branch of their marketing team. Which right. They well, they are. are yeah, right. Sa- I would even say an affiliate's <laughs> yeah. more part of the sales team. Yes. Right. Yeah. They're like a global workforce, but how hilarious, like, I think there's two different types of people and I'm guilty of this. So I can easily speak about it where you get an offer rolling and you almost get in this like uh, set it and forget it mode. And, and it, you know, things you don't pay attention to you know deb and i used to be boaters and uh if we didn't wash our boat every week the the air would take on and start crudding the boat mm-hmm. well i think that's a great way to look at an offer is if you're not paying attention to it it starts to get a little cruddy and you have to pay more then that's your only thing you got you're not doing the rest of it i totally agree what i would love to hear your opinion on offer fatigue you hear that a lot right like oh this offers fatigue it doesn't convert anymore right things like that i've got opinions on that yeah. thought but what where do you stand on that i think it thing? starts with this first part of our conversation mm-hmm. i think if you're not paying you know you know we um we help a lot of health companies and we love yeah. that and and we say there's should a healthy company like any company should have two pieces to it r d which is kind of like new offer stuff and then what we call maintenance or your existing offers and split some of the resources if you can afford to to keep those in safe places like there's titans of business like the Steve Jobs of the world who did this quite well. But if you look under the hood at most of our friends, they spend a lot of the time on new stuff, new shiny coin R&D to the detriment of what's existing. And I think offer fatigue is mostly that issue. You're not paying attention to uh, changing the best creative or testing things. You know, uh, I heard a, a, a saying once I love, you know, rent marketing is like rent. It's due the next day. And you know, like you, if you treat split testing on your stuff that's existing and not heavy end, not going new. It should be the other way around. It should be more effort towards what you have working and less effort towards building new stuff. But I'd say most people in this business, of which I was guilty of, it was build new, build new, build new, and you start to ignore what is working. And and that mentality is you spend more energy getting a new customer instead of driving deeper the one you have. And I think we just gave you the world according to GARP's version of why offer fatigue because becomes the answer to it. It's actually not a good answer. It's an answer that exposes um, lack of attention. Yeah, no, that, I think we're fairly aligned on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Usually I see offer fatigue, it's like, well, yeah, you haven't touched it in two years. Yeah, so you're just expecting it to yeah. run forever and have this like, yeah. you know, um, almost like helicopter lifestyle. I don't mean, Todd, that I'm teasing you with your helicopter. <laughs> I mean, uh, kind of helicoptering over your stuff. You just pop in and out. That, that you know, I, I love how digital allows us to have um, more margin and probably less staff load. But somehow, somewhere along the way, people think that that, that you don't you don't have to be a good fiduciary and run your business. Those <laughs> don't go together. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Where where do you see most offer owners? Because that's where I see people kind of start before they go into brand and stuff like that. But where do you see most offer owners or brands 
where do they need to focus for the next 18 months to make sure that they're at least up to par, if not ahead of the game? I tell you, I love where part of this conversation is going, but I, I, if you've made it this far in the show and, and you're like my twin sister and the three other people listening, then <laughs> hopefully you've heard this. But uh, what I would say is right now, take a gut check look at how many distractions you have going and the things that are not your core revenue drivers, park them right now. And mm-hmm. in six months from now, it'll still be a good idea. I think there's too much distraction in most businesses. And I think uh, each uh, operator has to look at what they've done. And you know, I'm the founder, I'm a creative type. I like to start new stuff. It's su- it's fun, it's, it's next week, it's not today, it's exciting. Uh, but I, I'm convinced that uh, most uh, businesses um, are on like unruly teenagers. They get just enough money to distract themselves. And next thing you know, they, they've lost the core of who they are. Mm. So I would drop a lot of, I, and drop could mean just park it for now. It doesn't have to mean I'm not gonna ever do it again. It just means some of that stuff, you know, um, uh, our, our, our one department has like, I, I, we're all guilty of this, has like seven new things rolling and two of them are needle movers. So I just park the five of them. And so we'll get to that when it's time. Yeah. yeah. And I think that I, the automation is so amazing, but it causes us to run in too many different directions. And what do, you, what do you mean by automation? Are you talking on the marketing side of things or like where do you mean? Yeah, I think all of it. I think yeah. like the fact that I can have a, you know, I can have a version of someone's offer up and running in an hour. Mm-hmm. I And I somehow assume that if I just copy their offer, I can be up and going like they are and, and, and take out all of the diligence and work. But even worse, forgetting copying, because that happens. It's like a compliment of marketers. You got to take it as such. I've been copied a lot. Um, uh, I, I think that... Uh, that type of automated attitude is what really hurts creatives. And you're not updating stuff. You're, uh, you're, you're kind of hoping you can do a mass blast email and not do any work with it. Gotcha. I, I, it's yeah. that more automation mindset than it is a specific way of automating. You're kind of hoping you can just set that one magic email and never change it again. And you're like, no, that's just, <laughs> that's, that's probably combined with like four or five other issues, the, the, the epidemic of, of, of offer fatigue. Yeah, I agree. So if someone's looking to like stay on top of it, they need to be really focusing on their one or two main revenue drivers or their main one, and then just diving in and making sure that's, you know, the 2080 rule almost, right? That yeah. that's generating. I would say that uh, on Tilt, a mature company has three strong channels. Mm. And if you're if you're talking with some of our friends and they're like we have five or six killing it channels, I'm like, nah, you probably have two, maybe a third one, yeah. uh, and then you have some distractions, you know. And 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 we we all get like a you know this like channel envy. Oh, my buddy's doing TikTok, and you know then you gotta look at your customer demographic. You know, our one health company has like or your creative team doing TikTok or YouTube. It's a really cool traffic channel that's both are scaling big ways right now. Yeah. But your creative team needs to be ready for that. And, and you better yeah. have the type of audience that's actually on TikTok. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? I call it TikTok because my kids, but uh, so sorry about that, folks. But uh, I, uh, I think you have to remember, you know, the avatar and the audience of the, you know, if you sell it to something to older people, you probably should be on Facebook and not TikTok. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and just know who, know thy customer and not just try to be in every channel. I, yeah. That makes, that makes sense. And it's, Cause I think that can help align too. If you're focusing on what's driving your revenue, not just on channel perspective, but on a product level, kind of keep going further on the headline level. Right? Yeah. Right. You just keep paring it down until the actual offer. You start to get those, 
1% gains, which turned into yeah. 100% gains and throughout the time. I mean, Russell yeah. Brunson, Perry Marshall, all these guys that early in the day used to do all these like uh, 101 split tests for us to run. That stuff just works. Yeah. And barely anybody's like testing those things every day. I just get the reps in, right? That's well, I think, you know, uh, let's be real. Like it, there's a lot of things to do. And yeah. when you start getting someone uh, sending you sales, you know, probably one of the discouraging things you guys see, because you get to look under the hood, is um, how long someone doesn't hold the number one spot anymore, how quickly mm -hmm. it runs out. And like this, there was a period of time in our industry where everyone was doing these, these launches. Right, and I, I feel like that launch mentality stuck around longer than it should have. Yeah, the launch. Yeah, I'm burnt out on launches, honestly. Yeah. But um, what's what's interesting though is like what I've found is the they might not say number one. Yeah. But I've seen staying power much longer than I used to see. Oh, that's good. Right? So they might yeah it might not be number one. Yeah. But they're still doing eight figure businesses for multiple years when it used to be you see something come in and cycle like, it and out. Yeah. And be yeah. like, boom. And then something new has to come in behind it. Boom. Right. Yeah. We're seeing these offers being sticking around for 18 plus months, you know, two years, That's three awesome. years, and they're still doing a great business. Yep. The ones I'm really impressed by are the ones that don't chase the big six figure, multiple six figure days. Right. And yeah. they just focus on the, we're going to generate 20 to 50 K in revenue a day. Right. And that's going to be our bandwidth. We might have some big sends every now and then from a big affiliate yep. that pushes us to, you know, 80 plus or something, mm -hmm. but their bandwidth is, you know, the power band is right in that 25 to 50 K number. Yeah. And they're just doing a steady business. Yeah. I think when I think about the affiliate channel, I think, you know, you can diversify early days. I'd go out and get the big whale Yeah, and I'd want to give her like a bunch of money to like rock and you know, shout me out. But one of the mistakes I made with the big whale was I would like then cater to them. As opposed to just extend, yeah. well, well, you don't have to yeah. actually. I think you just need to like extort them, like show, yeah. hey, look, cause she likes our stuff and you can too. And don't, when they call you and, and say, oh, this offer, that offer, next thing you know, you're chasing six things in development because um, you decided that the whale was that important to your business. And I think actually the next level and the next level down of affiliate is really the power to the diversification you of affiliates. So looking at that a little bit, when you see like a big whale affiliate come yep. in, right, and they start generating a ton of sales, do you treat that almost more of a, as a windfall versus, hey, this is our new baseline now? That's a great question. Um, we normalize against the whale because okay. like, you know, you know, in valuations of businesses, you know, if you have a concentration of clientele that's like above 20% of your revenue type thing, you get a knock in the value of your company. I think we could use to take that principle in finance and bring it into affiliates. Like how many, like if it with the like gold standard of, of, of the opposite of that would be like no affiliate is sending you more than 5% of your traffic. And so I would say, I'd be very careful if you got a couple big ones in there, great, congratulations. But I would normalize against it and be careful, treat it like you just called it an outlier. And then um, be, do your best to not let that be a thing that sticks around real long. Don't get rid of the whale, do, get some more, you know, five percenters to make up for the 20 percenter. Right, kind of keep, yeah, that makes it because you need to keep sending those because those five percenters. Well, think about all our friends yeah. who are like who lose that whale, and all mm -hmm. of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, half my traffic's gone. Yeah, and they've uh, hired around it, they've built, yeah, teams around yeah, that. And then, yeah, and then and, and, and the offer may not have been ignored, mm -hmm. fatigued. Um, you know, consumer behavior doesn't change, folks. The offer doesn't die out because consumers are still buying this yeah, stuff. Maybe it's the lack of creativity newsflash <laughs> and so uh um but i think that is uh the way that we got really good at brain host with affiliates we mm. decided that we just would use them as our influencer but not chase them all around because i imagine were you doing your own media buying as well oh yeah yeah how do you like to 
blend that? Because I see people take a lot of different approaches with it. When you're doing your own media buying and then you're working with affiliates who might be doing media buying as well. How do you, do you let that just happen or how do you kind of approach that or help guide clients on that? I think, you know, I would encourage something quite simple, full transparency. It's, yeah. it's funny how like, uh, some people just think they're supposed to tell half the story. Like somehow that's better, you know, but like, uh, there's people you and I all do business with, like, just let them know what your plan is. If you've got a good offer that the market wants, people are going to do business with you. And if you're transparent and fair about it and you're not doing the underhanded things that I was capable of doing back in the day. Uh, and you know, I always used to say like once a spammer, always a spammer. But, uh, I, I think honestly, like today, because we've had some good maturing in the tools in the marketplace, like let the people you do business with know that you're also going to compete for some of those ad sets Yeah, and like where there's overlap, like with try to address your offenses and deal with it. As opposed to being like burning a relationship, which yeah. is what I think people are doing, or, or they they blow their integrity by lying, like it, oh, that wasn't me, that must have been some affiliate. Yeah, gosh, that, yeah, we could dig into that a little bit. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of affiliate blame that happens, right? When it's like your customer service isn't responding to tickets, right? This right. affiliate isn't driving chargebacks and rev and refunds, right? right? It's. <laughs> I mean, don't yeah. get me wrong, we have outlier yeah. junk, but the reality <laughs> oh, sure. is, you know, there's usually a simpler answer. Yeah. The more complicated answer is probably not accurate. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Occam's razor, right? Looking. <laughs> isn't that so true? Yeah. 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 And then, because I, I see that too, right? I, I have new clients are coming on, or people I'm helping consult with, and it's like they are really hesitant to let affiliates buy media on Google or Facebook, whatever it might be, because we're doing it, right? It's like you're spending maybe five to 10K a day on across those yeah. channels. Like affiliates could be doubling or tripling that across a few of them or one big one could go quite a bit higher. I see no right? argument as to why someone shouldn't be doing the same thing. You're yeah. just gonna buy more real estate on the page. Yeah, exactly. Now you might actually drive up a little bit of the cost. Sure. but. You Would you rather be competing with yourself or with the other guy who's going to buy that spot? Yeah, like I've exactly. never understood that argument, to be honest with you. Uh, I would welcome affiliates jumping in. Now, I think we've got to be careful about what our keyword groups look like and how we're doing it and what pages, you know, because Google doesn't like things that aren't compliant. Yes, agreed. Right? So yeah. we do have to, I think people are really meaning that when they don't want affiliates. They're not really meaning the cost per click. They're meaning you're gonna screw up what I got going. Yeah, it's the keyword, the brand built bidding, right? That's right. The negative SEO articles, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, is it like endorsed traffic or is it like, you know, or is it not endorsed, but Google treats you like it's endorsed? Yeah. And that's the issue, I really believe that. Or you see it's like a coupon play, right? You see just affiliates just use coupons and you're just paying less now, or paying more to acquire a cheaper customer. Yeah, I mean, they, you yeah. might have an affiliate do some stuff that may be out of compliance and they're landing them on your page and Google's like, that's your fault, not mine. And like, <laughs> that's not what I wanted. So yeah. I think you gotta deal with some of those compliance things, but after you can have some system in place for that, gosh, I'd, I can't, you know, I would love to have my page littered with me and all of our affiliates, <laughs> wouldn't you? I mean, who would love to have your Google, you own seven of the top spots on your Google search? Exactly. I mean, I certainly think that's going to help your, your cost uh, per click. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you're looking at a, excuse me, I've been talking through TNC a bit. Yes, me too. Um, yeah. <laughs> Getting raspy. It's like my lounge voice. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's smokier, it's way smokier. <laughs> yeah. Um, where do most businesses need to do a better job at hiring? Mm, that's a great question. I, right. We have a, an interesting time in the marketplace. Like you're just like, we, we, we've been through these times in business cycles. And since I'm old, I've lived through a few of these cycles. Uh, people are just hiring at will, right? Because they are just trying to get people in. They want anybody, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Cause it is a pretty, uh, 
in some respect for quality people it's a tight market um i think you got to stand for some things like uh you know i th- i i listened to chip wilson speak i kind of appreciated that the concept of vision and values and are, are kind of tired and like i think something that's like more relevant right now is this idea of like what's the problem we're solving what purpose like, do you, like do you, is this like like, are you in a line that this is something you're going to want to do if we've met your basic needs for uh, pay? And so we've worked really hard at our company at Community. Uh, I, we couldn't say we had a value of Community. We had to like earn is, to that. use Community different than culture. Or is that it's the same thing? Okay, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And so I, inside the building, we never say this outside. So if, in case anyone heard this, this is just for us internal people. But <laughs> uh, we're working at building cult every day. Okay, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So I think culture is real. I think it's a. It can be one of those words though that uh, can be a, a disguise, kind of like automation. We're talking about offer fatigue. You, know, you claim something you don't actually have. hundred uh, percent. Right. Yeah. So you have a mission I, statement, but no one really. Yeah. yeah like yeah. you do, you ripped it off of Apple's website and you made it yours, <laughs> but you don't really stand for it. And have you gone back to the office? Yeah, we have, we oh, are, we have a hybrid model, right? Mm-hmm. So back when we started, we were hybrid. And so everyone's like, that's nuts. That's never going to work. Now people are like, how are you making that work? Yeah. And you know, we've developed the habits and structures of six years of doing that. And so, you know, we, uh, we, uh, we love the, collaboration and creativity that comes along with office time. Well, how, sorry, I'm on the level side a little bit. How big is your company on employee basis? About 130. 130, okay. And so you have a hybrid where they're in a few days a week, out a few days a week. So it, about two thirds of our team are spread throughout the uh, throughout and oh, okay. uh, it's fully remote fully remote gotcha. and okay. then uh, a third of our team uh, sits on campus and the ones that sit on campus have um, yeah, we, 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 we do the hard work, right? We do the things that no one else wants to do. So we have to, we are, the thing we bring to the marketplace is excellence through expertise and consistency. So we're trying to keep structure with our people working. They're not all creative jobs, but you know, we've always built a culture where if you need to work from home, we don't really want your sniffly nose in the office, work from home. Right, and like we yeah. have all the tools to do that. Um, but interestingly, our team wants to be together, right? Like. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've seen too because we've gone hybrid in the sense where we're in the office a few days a week, yep. outside the office other yep. days, right? Because what we realized, the thing that fell through the cracks through COVID and going fully remote, yep. was that natural learning that happens in an office environment, right? And to, um, people took a lot longer to get up to speed on industry and on platform yeah. and on culture and stuff than just they would have if they were sitting in a seat. They could just ask someone next to them. I think there's three attributes of a, a leader that are so critical. Uh, and one of them is being um, exposed by rem- a full remote. And so the three things, just as a cliffhanger, I don't want to leave you hanging, is you know I think you have to be a, a, an effective communicator. I think that remote has required us to get better at that. So that's cool. Um, I think you have to be a, a servant leader uh, to be an effective one, in my opinion. And I think the remote hasn't taken that away. But the one that I also think you have to be quite good at is embracing conflict. And remote has really undermined some of the ability to uh, how how to correctly embrace conflict. And so I think we're uh, we, we, the idea of creativity and criticism and, and 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 even some form of conflict at your executive level is such a mature thing to have in a company. 
there's less of that when you're in a remote environment. Mm. Like it's it's distant. You can't like look in each other's kind of eyes. Do a little bit, or does, they don't realize that there's actual. Well, you know that like you know the picture's worth a thousand words type mm-hmm. saying. Like mm-hmm. that's true of like in person discussion. Like we could be doing this podcast not together, but being together, we're playing off each other's body language. Right. That kind of stuff happens. Like so, if I'm like uh, having a less mature day and I'm kind of driving the team on some things I'm disappointed about, that's going to come off way differently on a video screen or an email than it will when we're all together in the room. Gotcha. I think the kindness and love that goes along with conflict that's necessary uh, is hard to pull off. You can do it, but it's harder to pull off. So how, how do you manage that or try to manage it maybe um, when you have two-thirds of your office that is fully remote? I lean on the first uh, principle of leading, which is like use my words. Something I've really taught with my kids early on, like be effective in communication, like mm-hmm. call it out, like say, hey, I recognize, you know, you're not here. I know you want to be here, but the, our business is built this way. So like find out what's not working and just continuing to be an effective communicator is I think the only uh, tool we have in our toolbox. And it's funny, I think... Uh, um, I think uh, a lot of people could use to, 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 to do more of that. Yeah. Cause have you, have you been exposed to the, what are they calling it? The, uh, uh, it's like the, the mass exodus of people leaving jobs. Is that, oh, right. So what's it called? The great resignation yes, or thank whatever. You. Yeah. Great resignation. Yeah. Have you, have you had to deal with that at all? You know, we've, you know, good, good, listen, good companies lose good people. Yeah. Right. Uh, the market will attract and people manage their own career. Um, Ryan Dice once sent in a thing, uh, you know, uh, the seasons of business. Sometimes you know you're serving them, and then sometimes they're serving you. So that that speaks to the axiom of like you're managing your own career. So people cycle out, and that happens. And um, but on a from a standpoint of like measuring uh, like employee uh, attrition, no, actually we've really uh, I think our work at home people want the lifestyle and flexibility that comes along with the hard work they do. I think our people um, in our office love the very internet style of our office. Mm. So, you know, for an accounting firm to have a very internet lifestyle is very refreshing. And they have a leader who's a a guy that believes in um, servant leadership. So a very kind, compassionate environment. I, I we've met the basic needs of pay them well, but everything else starts to kick in. And I think yeah. we. I think you know our team's amazing. I think we've done a really good job. You know, we we have three factors that have made for our company. We have great people. We have a very good offer and a lot of luck. Yeah, well, luck's important. I mean, luck can just be you know preparation, good timing. Yeah, my that, coaches so, used yeah. to say that. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm a coach. I'm a sports kind of yeah. guy. And but you know, with all with all humility, seriousness, like I think it takes a combination of those three 100%. things. Yeah. And uh, I, we we. I would have loved to have known that sooner in my career. Yeah. <laughs> it does take some luck. Yeah. yeah. Is there, going back to like kind of looking at your clients, is there roles that you think they should always hire internal versus using something like an agency or contractor or other services like that? Is there things that they just have to own internally? I don't know if you listened to Chip Wills' uh, talk yesterday, and this is a shout out, get their recording on that. He had some interesting things to say. And, you know, Jim Collins talked about this, so I think he would have pulled it from the Good to Great book. He said, if, if you're not best in world at it, then why don't you outsource it? Mm, And I'm like, that's actually quite insightful. We want to outsource the things we're really good at, but we don't actually want to outsource the things we're awful at. Like in our world, in accounting, I hear it all the time. People are like, oh, I don't want to switch. I'm using this person that isn't that good, but they know everything. I'm like, so you're accepting (laughs) lower performance? And uh, 
I, I think, a flat tire or something. It's like, oh, it's there. Well, <laughs> at least it at least spins around. Right. Yeah. I, I can get there on a dented yeah. rim. It's it's a funny thing how we do that. Uh, actually, my answer would be, I think that the COO or the leader of the business is hard to fractionalize. I, Emma, I know you guys do that, and that's awesome. But uh, I think that's hard to do. Because yeah, the fractional things come up in a big way recently, right? Fractional CFO, fractional yeah. CMO, fractional yeah. CFO. Yeah. I really think with today's tech stack, it's a cool way to run a business. It like is, yeah. You yeah. can you can get started with an expert and you can decide what part of that margin you want to buy back internally. We have that type of model in the back office world. like. You know, we are. We should always be one of the weapons of outsourced, and so I think there's multiple places like that. You can use your call center like that. You could use uh, customer service pieces. Some of that customer service I'd want managed internally. But mm-hmm. one thing I would like to give everyone advice is: is I still think if you're going to use outsourced components, you have to have someone on the core part of the team making sure that they're effectively managing it. And it's not like the way you treat your offers, where it's set it and forget it. Like it's daily. I think yeah. our agency who does our marketing work for our Google PPC does a better job because we're helping them with reporting and responding back to what's working and not, and not expecting them to do all that. Gotcha. Yeah. But I think that there's multiple parts of, I think I'd be careful about the, the brain and heart of the business, but everything else I think is in today's tech stack, very uh, outsourceable. Yeah, I would agree. But kind of going back, like, so you think operations, or at least the head of that should probably stay internal. I think the lead of the, lead. the things you're yeah. doing yeah. should be right. Mm-hmm. Because I, if there's gotta be somebody at the end of the day when they're putting their head on the, the pillow, bit, right? cares yeah. about your business as much as you do. <laughs> right. So there's gotta be some type of, in your management team, there's gotta be some uh, standard of, uh, of mentality of fiduciary. They might not think like an owner cause they don't get paid like one, but they can certainly care about the business at a level where they do care about what's actually happening. I think that part is very hard to outsource. Like I, I would almost call that very unicorny. As a matter of fact, even some people who do that, they do it with the plan of backfilling themselves because they know it's a short-term piece. So even the the people who do operational like fractionalization, they only do it for a short time effectively. They come in to they fix something. kind of get yeah. it right and then backfill them with somebody who's staying. Okay, so they get the structure in place yep. and they bring someone in. Which I think makes a, a lot of sense. You can't kind of stay sense. long-term on that. Yeah, that does make sense. Yep. Yeah, okay. Well, Benny, this has been great. I would love to hear... Um, I know you've written a few books. Yeah. I've read some of them. Uh, I don't know if I've read all of them. Okay. But where can people learn more about you or get some of those books or can I get follow up if they need to? Yeah, they, you guys can just drop us an email at Vinny at fullyaccountable.com or we care at fully and we'll send you anything you ask for. Uh, you can check me out at vinnyfisher.com or uh, Vinny Fisher Everything Social Media and then Fully Accountable, right? We're very accessible. You can. Quite honestly, you want to meet our people more than you want to meet me. Like, if you want a photo op, cool, go hey, take one with the pretty guy. But if you really want to have a substantive conversation about like where's the next step, we do that. Like, we're not Zappos. We're not going to get you a pizza, but we're going to point you in a direction if we're not the right direction. Yep, I love that consultative approach to selling yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Cool. Thomas, I'll tell you, buddy, you're always so much fun to be hanging out with. And so I know why our friends love listening to your podcast. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Well, thanks, buddy. It's always good to have you. Um, Well, I guess not on because it's the first time you've been on, but I'll give a chat with you. And thanks for adding value here. Thanks, buddy. Cheers.